Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another live edition of the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line in the chat room by an athletic beat writer. But that makes it sound like you are like not that you're not not that you're on athletic, just like one of the athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. Tim, how's it going? Uh, I, I want to set the record straight. Extraordinarily athletic. It totally totally blows people how how athletic I am now. Uh, I am not uh, Jacob deGrom, as laid out in uh, Stephanie Apstein's SI story, uh, and the various athletic feats that he has achieved. Uh, and the next one that the Mets hope he achieves is pitching in a Major League Baseball game. Uh, but yes, I am an athletic, capital A, uh, beat writer who covers the Mets. I take it you read, you read Steph's piece the, on, on deGrom? I thought that was, yeah. that, was, that was a fun and enlightening read, as much as like, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to see deGrom a little bit behind the scenes, as, as you have. Um, as we've discussed on the show, he's not a guy who reveals a lot of himself publicly. And some of it was fun. Some of it was like a little alarming. Like the quote from Brandon Nimmo was like, I don't know if I actually, you know, like it, it took eventually Brandon Nimmo came around on Jacob deGrom. But if Brandon Nimmo had to come around on you, like what, is, what does that say about your personality? And, and how long did that take? You know, Nimmo, I believe, is the second longest tenured Met behind deGrom at this point. Uh, and has been with the team for seven years. Uh, do you think that that happened? Like he he realized it was okay to like Jacob Degrom in like 2017, 2018, or do you think that happened like April of 2021? I mean, this is a guy who gets like drilled with a pitch, and he's happy about it, you know. So <laughs> I, I would I would have to think it happened pretty soon. But like if it's not instant with Brandon Nimmo, I think there's like there's like some some sort of underlying issue there. <laughs> a little bit frightening. It is. It is. Um, nice. Just the details yeah. heard about the ground as a prankster really going back to, to right days with the team, but to see uh, some of the details spelled out that way, uh, some of the things that he has done. Paul, poor Paul Taglieri down in, in St. Lucie, who just seems like he is, you know, it's like Jay Horowitz was the target for so long. Now it seems like it's, it's weirdly Paul Taglieri for no, no fault of his own. Right, and they felt like they, they erected drywall in his office to, to make it so, like, at some point, it, yeah, like, like he said, he joked about the bullying thing in the, in the story, but, they, you know, it's like you're, you're making this guy's job hard. I don't know. I'm sure it's all in good fun. Uh, we have someone already read, uh, waiting in the queue. It's Eric S. Eric, what is on your mind? Hi, I have uh, two questions for you guys today. Thank you for always doing these. Uh, the first, uh, on the topic of DeGrom, I found it fascinating, first with McCann and Scherzer, that the Mets sent them on uh, rehabs with Binghamton. At the time, especially for Scherzer, uh, yes, Hartford was a little closer to New York, but they still had 
opportunities in Syracuse, and then later in terms of DeGrom going to Syracuse, the common thread is Francisco Alvarez, uh, especially with those guys as pitchers and catchers. It seemed that Mets were really uh, focusing on putting those rehabbing players with Alvarez. And my question for both of you is, have you seen something like that before with the Mets, uh, Tim with the Red Sox, or with any teams based on a top prospect in terms of assignments? And my, my second question for you, also a little bit on the minor league end, I was wondering, if Tim, if you've heard anything, um, I'm not sure if uh, disappointment or just different strategic thinking around how certain guys like, let's say, Steven Nagosik, who I know he's on the taxi squad now, might be activated this weekend, but he was having an ERA under one in Syracuse in past years without option limits. He probably would have been Heath Bell, Royce Ring-style yo-yoed back and forth uh, between the Mets and AAA. This year, really, with the option limits, it seems like guys like him and Medina and Lopez, the Mets are being a little bit more cognizant now with the option limits and it kind of results, it looks like, in some of those guys maybe having less time up in the majors than they might have otherwise. And I uh, was curious if that's something that, that you kind of heard about or any thoughts of any players on, on uh, some of the differences related to that. Yeah, I guess, I guess we'll start with the Alvarez question. I, you know, I'm trying to think back. I, I did cover a couple of good catching prospects in Boston in Blake Swihart and Christian Vasquez. I don't, you know, the the Red Sox pretty much always sent their rehabbers to Pawtucket, um, you know, and unless they were they're really far away and they need to go to Lowell first. Um, so I, there, there was never an instance where it stood out that, oh, they're, they're having this pitcher work with this frontline catcher. You know, you go back to Carlos Carrasco, actually, in Brooklyn last year, rehabbed there and, and pitched to Francisco Alvarez as well. Uh, it, it would, you know, I, I think there's, I don't know how much of it is specifically tied to Alvarez. Uh, I think there's some side benefit to having, uh, your good starting pitchers throw to him uh, in a rehab start. You get a little bit of a scouting report, especially when there is a question mark about, you know, whether Francisco Alvarez can come up and be a major league receiver tomorrow, basically, for this Mets team. Uh, and to get uh, Scherzer's input on it, to get uh, DeGrom's input on it, to get McCann's input on it, I think, you know, McCann, obviously, he'd be, he'd be competing with Alvarez for a job, but McCann has always come across as a, a pretty professional guy who's going to tell you the truth. Uh, and I, I think... Uh, Tim Healy at Newsday wrote a story with McCann uh, on what he saw from Alvarez uh, during his rehab stint. So I, I think, you know, I, I think it's probably, if you're looking at, you know, Syracuse and Binghamton are, are relatively equally distant uh, from New York. Uh, and like you said, some of those starts were in Hartford, actually, I think for Scherzer, uh, that, uh, you know, it, it's probably plan A is to get them rel- relatively close to home. Plan B is, hey, if we can get them working with Alvarez, that, that helps out too. I think that seems, I, I think that seems right. I was going to say, I was going to say like, fringe benefit as well. Like I, I can't imagine they're structuring rehab schedules specifically around Alvarez, but like you said, it's like, Hey, that's a nice thing. We can get him get him a look at Alvarez. Um, the only time I can remember like a lot of like jockeying in terms of the rehab stuff was like, I, I and I can't remember even specific examples and it's not about a catcher. Just, I know when the Mets were in Vegas with their triple A team, first of all, it was a, it was a logistic nightmare to get guys there. But then also because of that offensive environment, I think you want to like pick and choose who's getting a rehab start there. Um, but I can't remember in terms of like, I don't remember like the last, who was the last Mets catching prospect was like Josh Tolley. And I, I don't know that I remember them like really scheming the 2008 rehabbing staff around around Josh Tolley's whereabouts. 
Um, I do. So we uh, we got to take the second question of Eric's, uh, the second part of Eric's question. I want to point out, Eric, much more polished on the radio than either you or I. I was going to say that. He, like, the, one of the things that throws reporters off the most during, like, press conference settings is when they have two questions because they're never sure whether to ask the second one as part of the first one. Uh, and I don't know, there's, there's a lot of, right. there's a lot of uh, you know, Buck, you asked Buck Schultz, but, like, I, I was wondering about this, this, uh, you know, Jason Graham, when are you going to start? And then I've got another one when you're done. Uh, and it's, it's always said in precisely that tone. It's never like, and I've got one more. It's always, and then i got another one. Uh, so good job, Eric. We're proud of you. Um, on, on Negosic, uh, you know, I think, uh, you look at the, the trio of guys you mentioned, Negosic, Medina, uh, and Lopez, all of them have pitched pretty well at the major league level. Uh, you know, Negosic DRA, like you said, is under one. Some of the peripheral stats don't back that up quite the same way. Uh, I know, uh, it was an after the fact changing of an error of a hit to an error that kind of put his ERA back below one, uh, which was really unfortunate because I'd just written about him and I had to incorporate the larger ERA into the story uh, when actually it was lower ERA at the time. Uh, so, you were still reeling from the, the Stephen Nogasek story from like a month ago. I feel like we have heard about, <laughs> about the trials of, of this story for, for in every show since. The Nogasek Holderman story was a right. Holderman, uh, uh, an Indianapolis. Uh, did, did the Indianapolis Indians change their name too? Uh, I actually didn't. I hadn't thought of that because um, that's that's Pittsburgh. That's a great question. Um, he's in Indianapolis, and, and it goes to still in AAA. I don't think the option limits have a part to play in that just yet, because if you look at those three guys, I think they've they've all been optioned two or three times. It's since May second, and twenty seventh men of a doubleheader don't count. Uh, so I, I think you know none of those guys are, are right at the are are at four options where the next time you send them down, you're you're in some trouble. Uh, it's possible the Mets have spread it out a little bit because of that with an eye toward the future. Uh, I think if you're looking at which of them has probably been the most valuable to the Mets uh, in the major leagues this season, I don't think it's clear cut that it's Negosic. I think you can probably make a strong case for Medina the way that he's pitched. Uh, so I don't know that the option limits are, are hurting a guy in that, that instance. And I, I think in the long run, having those will help pitchers uh, and different players in that position. I know talking to Jake Reed in spring training and he was, uh, you know, he was a guy who had gone through kind of DFA limbo last year. I forget what number of times he'd actually been optioned in 2021. It was something like eight or nine. Uh, and, you know, when you go through that, it's, it's, it's really difficult uh, on you to, to perform well, uh, you know, because you don't have a spot to pitch all the time. You're always going back and forth. So I think in the long run, that's going to be good for players. You know, hopefully, I think the, the goal in, in the end is to change the way bullpens operate from this kind of strong, this amorphous 12 person body where you're just picking the best eight guys on a regular basis, best eight guys on, on who's best for you today and sending guys down and bring guys up to where you have more of a stable bullpen where you can't do all that roster manipulation, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, and I think this is just a step in that direction. The Indianapolis Indians are still called that. There was some talk of a name change after the guardians changed theirs. Um, they sort of, it sounds like they sort of, uh, you pointed out or used as an excuse the, the notion that Indians here is tied to Indianapolis, uh, assonance, I suppose. Um, it sounds like there is some momentum towards a name change. Uh, speaking of momentum, waiting on the line patiently, uh, it's someone named Daniel V. And uh, just please, please be him. Hey, guys. Daniel? 
Are yep. you Daniel Vogelback? Is it is it you? No. Oh. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, well, I am a much a slimmer version. Yeah. So, um, you know, as a, as a Mets fan, you can't really, and, and a baseball fan right now, you can't really get away from all the trade deadline talk of Juan Soto and, and, show, and now Shohei Otani. And, you know, I, I never really let myself get too excited about Soto simply because he's in the division and the amount of offers that the Nationals could potentially have from competitors in, in other divisions should at least be um, good enough for them to not trade him to the Mets. But when you look at Shohei Otani, I, and, and this might just be, you know, my, my, my brain swelling with, you know, possibilities. I, I can't see, I keep finding reasons as to why the Mets should go all in on trying to, to trade for Shohei. One being, we need a bat desperately, right? You need a, you need a, a left-handed bat. Can you find a better bat than Shohei Otani to slide in behind, behind Pete Alonso as your DH? four or five days a week, maybe Josh Bell, but again, in division. So probably not. DeGrom is slated to come back, but there's no guarantee that he's going to come back and be healthy and effective and be able to pitch seven innings of dominating baseball and be the DeGrom that, that we all hope and want and need him to be. He hedges and gives you some insurance against that. So you still have a nice two-headed monster running into the playoffs. But what if DeGrom does come back? as the DeGrom we recognize of, of, of his peak years. Going into the playoffs, and even just down the, the, the stretch of the pennant race, what team wants to face a three-headed monster of DeGrom, Scherzer, and Otani with Bassett waiting in the wings in either a five or seven game series? I can't, na- I can't even think of a team that's had that good of a rotation in the playoffs in the last decade plus. Um, you know, and then when you think about beyond this year you've got three of your starting pitchers who are slated to be potential free agents otani signed through 2023 he at least gives you a little you know insurance in in the event that you most likely can't sign all three of them back Degrom obviously is your priority but you know you, you still retain a top type a top tier top tier starter to pair with with scherzer in 23. Um, on top of the fact that Epler is was the GM that signed him and has that relationship, on top of the fact that we, you know, the the Flushing Queens and the big market of New York, like the, the list just keeps going on for me. And 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 I know it's a fantasy kind of scenario where realistically there's like a less than five percent chance he gets traded, but I can't seem to think of a reason why the Mets wouldn't push all in, because the reality is, yeah, I'd hate to see Frankie Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos and whatever four of the top 10 prospects the Angels would pluck plus maybe McGill or Peterson. But the reality is it's Shohei Otani. He helps you win a World Series right now. None of them do. And I can live with seeing them in the majors five years from now knowing that we got a ring today because of it. Yeah, so I... Daniel, thank uh, Dan, Daniel made a very thank you, Daniel, that a very compelling case for the Mets to acquire literally the best baseball player of all time. <laughs> I think that was that was another very composed like thesis statement outline of everything that Shohei Otani right. brings. I don't think I don't think the question here at the trade deadline is do the Mets want Shohei Otani. I think it's uh, are the Angels willing to make that move right now. Um, you know, certainly Otani's quotes uh, over the weekend or not over the weekend yesterday. 
uh, that, you know, right now I'm an angel. That's not what you want to hear. Yeah. You are a fan of the, the Anaheim Angels. Uh, and so uh, I think the question is... It was enough... It- it was enough that you, you, it kind of sounded like he maybe has been approached about this possibility. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think it, it comes down to whether Artie Moreno is willing to make that kind of trade and take, you know, if you trade Otani, you're, the Angels are taking an even larger step back. Um, and, you know, they would want probably some near-ready major league talent or in the major leagues. Uh, so, you know, uh, you, Daniel, you mentioned McGill, and or Peterson, probably both of them in that deal, honestly. Uh, probably uh, some guys who could, you know, maybe some, some J.D. Davis type, in addition to uh, a prospect cost. I don't think it would be the size of the prospect cost for Soto because there's one fewer year of control. Uh, Otani Frazier. But he pitches, but he also pitches. But he pitches, you know, he is better than Soto and more valuable than Soto because of the dual role he plays. It's really, you know, is Moreno ready to do that in season? Is he ready to, you know, there's, there's so much money tied into Otani uh, and his marketability, not not just in the U.S. but obviously overseas. Uh, and so I don't know how complicated it is to trade him. Uh, really, like like to build up for, on a trade for him within like a week and a half, basically. This isn't like something that's been percolating for a really long time. Uh, so you know, I do think if they are moving him, I think the Mets are probably uh, at the very top of the list of teams that are going to go after him and go after him hard because of the Billy Epler connection because of everything he brings to a team, regardless of that. Uh, I think if you're asking me what team do I expect Shohei Otani to be playing for in 2024, I'd probably put the Mets as the favorite then, uh, you know, if they just sign him in free agency, uh, more so than I would for Soto in free agency. Uh, but it's just a matter of does this, is, are they able to put this all together uh, in the last week before the trade deadline? I, I reached out to someone and said, is there, is there any chance that, that Otani gets moved? And it was kind of the, like, yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the dumb and dumber. Like, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, there's a chance. But, uh, you know, the, you, you would think it, it would be, you know, I think Daniel said 5%. I think it's probably less than that. I think it's, it's, it's a really small percentage chance that he gets moved. I'm saying that on, on July, was it July 29th? There's still five days until the deadline. Things can change very rapidly this time of year, as we know, uh, from 2015. But uh, I think the, the real case to be made has to be, pitching Artie Moreno on why you should move on from Shohei Otani and not pitching Billy Epler and Steve Cohen on why you want him. How about this for a creative, maybe, you know, fast solution to cushion the prospect cost a little bit. You take on Mike, Mike Trout as well. I mean, you could say, <laughs> you could say, look, we know how, how difficult back issues are. Let us deal with it again uh, with Mike Trout. Let's, let's take him on as well. Uh, and, and get you out from under that contract. Uh, and, and actually, I mean, like you could take Rendon if you want to kind of thing. That, but, um, but even yeah. he, like, I take him too. Take him too. Then you don't have to give up anybody. <laughs> uh, even like, I, I don't see uh, the angels doing uh, that kind of deal. That's just not the, the way they're wired. It would be so funny. I mean, that would be, that would be a hell of a headline for the, for the trade deadline, right? If it was like Mexican Shoei Otani and Mike Trout. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, like what is I've got, the, I've, I've got five days to dream. All right. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask like what is the the biggest package ever traded? Like two different guys. I mean Turner and Scherzer last year uh, was was pretty large. I'm trying to think of whether anyone any other time there were like oh no like two well, of the, the five best players in baseball are <laughs> the same trade. 
Yeah, I mean, like Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell, like Dontrell Willis was a pretty big star when he got traded still, but he, I think he had already started to fade a little bit. But like, you know, they, they, no one traded, there, there are no, there are no teammates comparable to Trout and Otani. Like you couldn't, you would have to start with two players that good to, to be able to make that trade and no team does. It's only the Angels and they have like 35 wins. I mean, it, it's kind of like the Mariners uh, with Griffey and, and A-Rod and Randy Johnson at the end of the 90s that it was right. like only when they got rid of all three could they win 116 games. Yeah. That's the um, Artie Moreno. That, you pitch him on the 2001 Mariners. You say, get yourself a John Halama, get yourself a Freddie Garcia, and that's how you actually win the AL West. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Uh, I'm for it. I mean, someone get him on the phone. We can, we can, we can maybe have him on the show, pitch him hard. Uh, we've got William S. waiting on the line. William, what's going on? Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Daniel stole my thunder a little bit. I wanted to ask about Otani, but that's okay because it's an insane pipe dream. Um, I guess like uh, any good crazy med fan i watched all of Degrom's minor league games and obviously the last one wasn't good uh velocity was down he was getting beat around he didn't seem to have much command he was giving up walks um i don't know like was this just him tinkering or doing something or do you think there's genuine sign of uh like his rehab isn't going that great yeah i, I think we talked last time or, or one recent podcast about how, you know, whenever DeGrom has pitched, he's pitched phenomenally. Uh, even going back to 2021, he was, like, leaving starts early after three innings and eight strikeouts. Um, you know, that, that rehab start was different in that regard, and then he gave up a couple home runs. I think he gave the one home run to Drew Waters. I forget if there was another home run in there. Um, there was another home run in there, yeah. Yeah, and, and just did not look sharp in the way that we're used to seeing him look sharp and, and uh, just felt like a little bit of a step back. Uh, and you wonder if the rehab clock were a little different. Uh, you know, they're kind of right up against the rehab clock. They can have DeGrom start, uh, I believe it's Monday. Uh, what, what day is August 1st is Monday. Uh, they can have DeGrom start that Monday uh, as a rehab start and push back his major league uh, debut until five or six days after that uh, if they wanted to, but they can't have him start Tuesday in the minor league. It's got to be Monday's the last day. He can do a rehab start unless they acknowledge a physical step back, which restarts the clock. Uh, so I'd I think they're going to roll with it with him in D.C. I think, you know, he'll probably be limited. Uh, he got up to, what, 67 pitches. So you're thinking, you know, in that same range, four innings, 60 pitches, five innings, 75 pitches is probably what you're expecting out of him uh, in that first start. Uh, and you hope that uh, he looks 
much closer to the sharp version of Jacob DeGrom that everyone is used to seeing for since the start of the 2018 season rather than the one you saw the other day. I don't, I don't know if one mediocre rehab started enough to make you rethink the entire endeavor, uh, but I, I think it does plant a little seed of concern in your mind. And the, the seed of concern that has been growing for me for, for months now, right? Like, I, like, for me, the rehab start means as close to, like, the results of the rehab start mean as close to nothing as possible. The only reason it's not nothing, nothing is that I would have been psyched if it was, like, four innings, 11 strikeouts, no hits. Um, I, but, like, you know, I don't know, without, without knowing what he's working on, like, what his routine was, that, all of these different things, I don't know. It, it could be, uh, I, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. That's the thing, is it doesn't count. And Jacob Vikram knows when he, when he gets up on the mound at a rehab start, it doesn't count. So if it's like, oh, I didn't like the way I, I threw my slider there, maybe in a major league game, he says, let me stay away from the slider the next couple pitches. But in the rehab start, he says, like, well, I got to find that. So, like, I'm going to throw five boards. And, and I don't know. I don't know what the sequences were. But uh, uh, situations like that, like, absolutely do happen in, in rehab starts and sim games and spring training games. And so I think you have to look past the results and say that the concern is that he, he still hasn't thrown a major league pitch in, in 2022 and it's been a, over a year since we've seen him and we haven't seen him throw a full season since since 2019. So there's plenty of concern. Uh, but for me, not the rehab stuff. Yeah, like I, I will say this. He, less than other pitchers, does that kind of like, let's work on things approach. Like, you know, I'm used, used to covering guys who, like their first spring training start, it's like, I'm just throwing fastballs to get my fastball command down. And then the next start, I will throw sliders. And the start after that, I will introduce change-ups. Uh, and DeGrom just comes out throwing 101 uh, with his entire mix, the first spring training start every year. Uh, and he did that in his first rehab start. So I think he's less likely to be the guy who's like, let me spin a, a, few, a few sliders in here just to see how they feel. Um, I, but, you know, yeah, the, the seed of concern is a small one in terms of his actual performance. And it's, it's, a, it's a, I don't know how to, how to expand this metaphor. It's a large plant uh, in terms of his health. And that's, that's the real... It's That's a the concern. Yeah, it's a full-on tree. It's a full-on tree in my backyard for for Jake Degrom concern. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I wish I could be more optimistic about it, but it's it's been a while. And like I, it's at this point, I would even question uh, the assertion earlier. Uh, like I, I don't know if he's going to be your top priority in the off season. I, that's, that's sacrilege to Mets fans. I understand, but like this guy is a pitcher in his late thirties who's missed most of the last three years now. So, uh, you know, if you, if it was someone else's play and it wasn't the guy you've been watching since he came up as a rookie, you know, ask yourself is, is that the guy? And again, it's Steve Cohen's money. I'd rather it be in Jake DeGrom's hands than, than Steve Cohen's. That's fine. Uh, it's just, if, if there is any sort of limit to the, how much the Mets can spend, um, you know, at some point you have to question the wisdom of all of it and signing a aging pitcher who has had trouble staying healthy to a record deal um, doesn't necessarily seem like the best business. Jesse M. is waiting on the line. Before you, Jesse, I, I've got, a, I've got a, a major qualm with what you just said. You, hey, go on. You said Jacob DeGrom is in his late 30s. Jacob DeGrom is younger than I am, Ted, and I am decidedly in mid-30s. <laughs> Um, how, how old is Jacob DeGrom? I mean, he's, I, I, that was because I was too lazy to just, like, he's 36. He's 34. He's only 34. Okay, so he's in his mid-30s. Yeah. Mid-30s. 
Thank you. Thank you for your clarification and your apologetic attitude. Uh, my bad to Jacob DeGrom still. Uh, ask the same question. Just go in and edit me. Uh, we'll fix it in post. Someone say <laughs> mid-30. Uh, Jesse, what's going on? Not too much, guys. Hey, uh, thanks for doing this. Um, question for you about the bullpen, everyone's favorite topic. So so I think the Yankee series is probably closest to the, the quote-unquote playoff environment that we've seen. And what I mean by that isn't necessarily like, you know, the, the juice in the stadium, but kind of Monday off day. Thursday off day, two days in between against an elite opponent. Tim, how, how do you think it kind of that series revealed itself as far as what Buck will do with the bullpen options he has, at least on the table now, in a playoff series? And how does it relate to um, Peterson's usage in the second half? Do you see them kind of using him as a Andrew Miller type? Or do you think they kind of keep him as a, as a, a long-inning um, rotation possibility? depending on what happens. Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Jesse. A really good point about how that series was structured with the off days around two games on Tuesday and Wednesday. But I asked mm-hmm. Buck after that after Tuesday, after Tuesday, Tuesday's game, you know, he had mentioned the atmosphere being playoff-like, and I wondered if he had managed the, the game playoff-like because of the way that, you know, you, a playoff series is the same way, off day, two games, off day. Uh, and uh, he was just like, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not thinking that far ahead. Uh, I think he is thinking that far ahead. I think, too, you know, the, the, the thing, the confounding factor is that they were dealing with Drew Smith's injury at the time. Uh, he just went on the IL on Thursday. Uh, and so that changes probably how they would have gone about it. I don't know if Smith is healthy, if they're asking the combination of Adovino and Diaz to get nine outs on Tuesday. But I think if you're looking forward to what is, what is this bullpen going to look like in the playoffs if they don't make any changes, it's something like that. It's something like, Adovino and or Lugo being the guys to get you to Diaz, Diaz throwing more than three, getting more than three outs. You know, what, what year, was it 2016 uh, when, you know, the Cubs were using Chapman uh, for like seven and eight outs. And, and I think the Dodgers went to Kenley Jansen, like at the start of the seventh inning of a game five with Washington that, uh, that, that Kershaw ended up closing out. Like we haven't, we haven't seen that kind of closer usage in the last couple of years in the playoffs, at least not that I can think of right now. I was at, I was I was at that game. It was in D.C., and I don't know what year it was. Because <laughs> was, he got Murphy, so I, I think it was 16. I think it was Murphy's first year in Washington. Um, so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much they stretch Diaz. Like, for instance, uh, in, I, I was really fascinated to see what it would have been, what the plan would have been Wednesday night if they got to the ninth inning with a lead. I think we would have seen Diaz uh, for that ninth inning, even though he'd gotten four outs the night before because of the way the schedule was structured. You know, in the playoffs, you can do that with him. Like, he's the guy who, contrary to how the Mets used him his first couple of years here, when they were saying, like, we're not going to use him for more than three outs, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. You know, he, he's got a bit of a rubber arm. He did that in Seattle at times. Uh, I remember him saving all four games of a four-game series once for the Mariners in Houston uh, when they were chasing them in that 2018 season. Uh, so he's, he's, he's able to do that uh, and, and pitch a lot in a short amount of time. You're going to be a free agent. You, you feel okay a little bit more so doing that than maybe four years out from free agency like they were in 19. Uh, so, you know, they, they can use him that way. Lugo, I think, theoretically, when he's pitching at his best, oh, has always felt like a really useful postseason weapon because the schedule builds in the days off that he needs, that he can go. He can get you six, even nine outs in game one of a series, uh, and then he's ready to go by game three or game four uh, in, in a way that it's a little tougher to do that in the regular season with him. Uh, you need him to be pitching well the way he did on Wednesday. You know, I don't think Adovino is a guy you're going to be using quite that way. Uh, and then the Peterson part of the equation, 
I think that was more to get him work on Wednesday. I think it was a little bit of an audition for maybe down the line. I don't think we're going to see him used in that role too often in the regular season, at least not in the month of August. They've got a couple of doubleheaders uh, on um, Saturday, I think August 6th and August 20th against Atlanta and Philadelphia. I would expect Peterson to be part of the pitching plan those weeks when they need a sixth starter. Uh, I wrote uh, earlier in the week that you know, they're going to be looking at giving their starters an extra day as much as possible, and that will fold Peterson in probably for a couple other starts, maybe two or three more starts. I think you're going to see him predominantly used out of the rotation in a regular season, but I think you know, for a team that doesn't have a left-handed option and you're, you're facing that part of the Yankees' order, uh, Rizzo and Torres and um, whoever was hitting fifth, Carpenter, uh, you've got two lefties. It's, it's a plausible place to try Peterson, uh, to put a guy who's never pitched in relief on that short rest uh, in a high-leverage spot like that in that environment. Maybe not the, the easiest audition that you could have had for him, and, and you've had some other options. We've done well against lefties, Lugo included, used in that spot. Uh, but uh, I think it, it's probably less a reflection of how they feel about Peterson's. You know, I don't think David Peterson's going to be pitching the eighth inning of, of many playoff games uh, for the Mets in, in a two-run game that, that way. I think you're right about that. Like, you know, like I'm not disagreeing. I, I, I am intrigued by Peterson working out of the bullpen just because, uh, like the, the, the stats profile sort of just with it, with all the strikeouts, but like a few too many walks as a starter, it feels like those, those guys tend to, uh, transition well to a bullpen. It feels like, and I, and I haven't looked into this, but he's been using his slider just like much more effectively in like the, the second part of this season for him. Uh, especially against right-handers, like backdooring them with it. So like I, when, and, and I agree with like that, I, I recognized it was clearly like a, a, a circumstance, a, a particular circumstance that landed him in that game in the, in the Yankees series uh, in the eighth inning. But I was into it. Like I, because I, I, like I, yes, he won't be immediately an eighth inning guy. Um, but I would like to see more of those auditions throughout the season because you don't want to put a guy into an unfamiliar role once you get into the postseason. We got a couple more callers waiting on the line, uh, starting with a frequent caller, Mr. Yanni. Yanni, what's going on? Hey, Ted. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me again. Um, you know, Ted, I, I wanted to uh, respectfully disagree with you. I know, I know you primed your, your thoughts on Jacob deGrom by saying it, it would be sacrilege to the to, to the Mets fans to, to hear this. But, you know, I, I think that um, part of with Steve Cohen coming in as the new owner, the idea is to move as far away from the mistakes of Mets history in the past as possible. And I know it's not comparing apples to apples per se, but, um, you know, I wasn't even alive for it. I was born in the 90s, but Tom Seaver, losing Tom Seaver twice was just, awful for our franchise and i don't think that the mets can do the same thing with the grom i think that at all costs they need to keep him now you mentioned a record setting contract i think that's going to depend on how he returns and if he returns and how he pitches this year right if he doesn't come back at all or if he comes back and he's not that great is any team going to give him a record setting contract if anyone can it is the mets and if not, then I doubt that Steve Cohen and the Mets wouldn't be willing to still be the highest bidder to retain DeGrom. If DeGrom ends up pitching like a max half season for the rest of his career and maybe even less, I still sign up for that. I take it. Um, if, if the Mets need to field a 
team with the payroll north of 300 million, maybe even north of 350 million and the tax hit um, that that takes for a few years. I think you have to say that as a Mets fan, you would rather the Mets be seen as those new bad guy, you know, spending way too much money to do it than to keep that payroll at a like, quote unquote, respectable level and watch Jacob DeGrom pitch for another team for the rest of his career if he does pitch again. Uh, so, you know, I, I, that's my thoughts there. Um, they're good thoughts. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know that I disagree with any of it, except that I think that, like, you're. It sounds like Yanni got a, like, and and I understand this. Like, you get hung up on the perception of it. Like, what would it feel like? What would it look like to have this homegrown star walk and and play for another team in free agency when you're trying to be the team that spends the most in free agency? But like, ultimately, that's about winning. And I think if your team, like, like, ask Mariners fans if they if they missed all those guys when they when their team won 116 games. Um, I think if if you if you put together a good team, like it, your first priority needs to be the best team possible. And maybe Jacob Degrom is a part of the best team possible at whatever rate he's going to cost in this offseason. But it's a it's a question you need to ask yourself if you're Billy Epler, because maybe that money is better spent elsewhere. Again, like if it's a finite amount of money, it's something it, I don't think it should be taken as a given because it sounds like it's, it's taken as a given among Mets fans that they will resign Jake DeGrom uh, and should. And I don't know, Tim, um, am I am I wrong in, in thinking like it's it's a it's at least worth pumping the brakes a little bit? Well, I think the the hardest thing to quantify, and it's something I've been thinking about since Atlanta's offseason with Freeman and Olsen, it's like, how do you quantify uh, the connection a fan base has to a player? You know, like, because the, the whole logic behind trading for Matt Olsen, signing to that extension, letting Freddie Freeman walk is like, you get this version that's 90% of the guy for less, for, who's younger, who in two years it, it might be just as good as him. You know, like, from a baseball perspective, that all makes sense. But it's also like, this, this is, you know, this has been your franchise player for a decade, a guy who led you through a rebuild, uh, a guy who won a world. But for, but like, but to be fair, right? But Freddie Freeman had had been has been healthy throughout, and he just won a World Series, right? Like if it, if it was but, but, if it was a like because I think it's I think it's atrocious that the Red Sox had to trade Mookie Betts. I think it's absurd that the Cubs had to trade Chris Bryant. I think that these are like indications that baseball, the economics of baseball, are broken in a way that like still needs fixing even after the CBA. Like I want teams to hang on to their homegrown stars. I'm just saying, in this particular case, like this guy hasn't been on the field. I mean, would you give him the Kershaw treatment, essentially what the Dodgers have done, right? Which they, they paid Clayton Kershaw well. It's not a record-breaking contract, but he, he's, I don't know what his contract is for this season, but his, his last one was three years and $90 million, I believe. Uh, and you, I know, it's always three and 75, I wanted to say, but it was a few years. Oh, no, no, you're my girl. I think there was, yeah. Um, and, you know, you're, you know you're not going to get uh, 180, 200 lights-out innings from Clayton Kershaw. The innings he pitches are going to be good, uh, and uh, you're going to really enjoy having him on the mound. Uh, and I think that's that's where you know, Kershaw we knew wanted to stay with LA throughout most of that process. I think really the only team that anyone ever talked about him going to was, was the Rangers because of the hometown connection. You know we're not 100% sure that Jacob Degrom is is as tethered to Queens as, as Kershaw was to LA. Uh, you know and and whether kind of he would want to work out something beforehand. You know he could do the opt out and basically agree to an extension pretty quickly thing that we've seen Kershaw do in the past. But I think CC Spathia did with the Yankees back in 2011. That that kind of move, you know, it's. I, I think 
there are so many questions about how his free agency would go that you know we can't answer now. We'll get a, we'll start to get a sense of it next week, but uh, it, it's really going to be you know how the Mets should operate. Yeah, it shouldn't be a given that they're like, they're waiting to sign Jacob Degrom to a five-year, two hundred and twenty million dollar contract once he opts out. Uh, but uh, you know they, they've got to be prepared for the possibility of both moving on, but also deciding like at what point uh, is what he means to this fan base worth. Uh, something in addition to what he means on the field for winning product for a team that can afford to make a mistake. That's, that's the, you know, for so long, the thing that the Yankees had over other teams was they could make a mistake. They could, they could trade for uh, Randy Johnson and he could be bad and they would still have enough money to overcome that. They could, you know, sign Javier Vasquez and he could have a bad year and they could overcome that. Uh, the Mets are in a position now where they can overcome mistakes in a way that they haven't been able to in the past. They can dump Robinson Cano this year, for instance, uh, and, Look, if, if you know the, the surplus value of Jacob Degrom is not there in the same sense as it was when he, he was on his pre-arb and, and even on his extension money, uh, I think you could still make an argument that he's worth it uh, to the fan base from a brand management perspective, which is something Sandy Alderson talked about when they extended right. Uh, my, I would just counter. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not trying to line myself up as like the guy who doesn't want Jacob Degrom on the Mets anymore because I'm not that. Um, but Tim is talking about Clayton Kershaw almost in the past tense, and Kershaw and Degrom are the same age, right? So like you know, Degrom came up so much later. Obviously, he has you know we we hear about like his arm being relatively fresh, the low mileage, um, you know, he is, has had little in the way of elbow issues. Um, but this is a, this is an arm-related concern. Uh, he is 34, like Kershaw. So like. How how the the Dodgers have handled Kershaw is probably like less a good comp to how the Dodgers do handle Kershaw moving forward and and Kershaw um you know even yeah you're he's he's not making 33 starts anymore he's still pretty routinely making like 20 to 25 and that's worth something and again like Degrom uh I, I hate to keep harping on this like he hasn't he hasn't pitched this year um I don't know I, I'm sorry to be uh, a uh, a negative put a, put a little bit of negativity in your head and in an otherwise positive time for the Mets coming off a sweep of the Yankees. Tim, do I have you you're, back here? Yes, yeah, you're you're just setting yourself up now for you. Like Jacob Degrom goes to a different team and pitches well, uh, there will just be hashtag blame Berg all over Twitter for years. Just setting yourself uh, up for it. I mean, I, you know, and like, but because I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm like, this is how I feel. I'm just saying you gotta, you gotta wonder, like, come on, no one else is thinking about this. Like, you can't be realistic about a, about a 34 year old pitcher who, who hasn't thrown a, who hasn't thrown a major league pitch in a year. Like that's when that happens to a guy like that has, you have to factor that into his future value. This could happen again, right? Like this will happen again from what we understand about this injury. I, I agree with that. I think. There are uh, secondary – Jacob deGrom has a value beyond what he brings just as a pitcher for the Mets because of what he means to a fan base. Uh, and, and as Yanni pointed out in the question, uh, that, you know, really outside of right, uh, there's no one else that uh, has been with the Mets their entire career uh, that, that has performed at that caliber. You know, you look at the numbers the Mets have retired – uh, you know, Gil Hodges has his number retired by a different team. Casey Stengel has his number retired by a different team. Uh, Keith Hernandez is in another team's Hall of Fame. Tom Seaver, they let go of twice, uh, as he mentioned. Uh, Mike Diazza, uh is, is remembered fondly for his Dodgers career as well. Like there's, 
and his Marlins time, of course. Uh, like, you know, there's no one who is solely the Mets guy uh, that way that they, they would like it to be, uh, you know, throughout their history, really. So I think, you know, DeGrom, like Wright, would have value beyond just who he is as a, as a performer for them. You know what would, what would make that, that medicine go down a, a little more smoothly? What? Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Did <laughs> um, they, they include DeGrom in the trade? Maybe they do it. You know, like you never know. The Angels need pitching. Like, um, I don't think they should make that trade. Don't trade DeGrom. Uh, there's no one else. We had I, Dean C was waiting in the in the queue, and he got sick of us and left. So this seems like a good enough place to wrap up. Should we come back next week and talk? about other things besides the trade deadline? Uh, no, no we'll, we'll be talking about the trade deadline still. We can, yeah. we can shift 2023 trade deadline, but we're going to be talking about the trade deadline. Oh, I, DNC returned. Let's just take DNC's question, and then we'll wrap up. Dean, what's going on? Sorry, sorry we... we uh, no, no problem. I don't know what happened. I think it just kicked me out. So uh, just a quick question. Uh, I listened to, I don't know if you guys heard Sandy Alderson on that podcast with Heyman, but uh, he talked a lot about keeping prospects and stuff like that, you know, kind of regretting the pro Armstrong trade, stuff like that. I know that I agree with you guys that like, I think fans overlook prospects because most of them don't work out. But I'm wondering when I hear like a Contreras trade that seems very similar in a way to the Baez one in terms of him being a hundred. I know that Baez wasn't a hundred percent a rental, but Contreras definitely is. So I was wondering what you guys think they could realistically give up that would make sense besides like a Mauricio or something like that. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's probably Mauricio or Vientos, like uh, guys in that range. Because I would imagine, you know, what, what, for what other people have reported more so than I have would be a Contreras and Robertson deal, uh, the two of them together. And maybe that gives the Cubs kind of a bigger prospect coming back. Um, you know, the, the Mets, I think there are reasons to question the value of Vientos and Mauricio. They're at the point in their careers where, you wonder if the laws are going away. Um, you know, Vientos has the huge platoon split this year, and the strikeout rate has gone up. It's over 30% in AAA. You worry how that parlays to the major leagues. Mauricio's plate discipline is kind of is what it is at this point, uh, and he can still be a useful player in the major leagues at that at that point, but, you know, maybe not the star that you thought he might be a couple of years ago. This is why guys who – why prospects in high A always feel so much more intriguing than guys in double AAA, because you can always say that their flaws will go away. Uh, at a certain point, um, you know, I, to me, the Contreras, uh, a deal for Contreras doesn't make as much sense as some other potential options that the Mets would have. And that, I, you know, I, I think that deal would cost them a little bit more than, say, something for J.D. Martinez, who I think is a better hitter uh, than Contreras. Uh, you know, there, there are different directions they can go in. Um, I'd still be a little bit surprised if they made a, a move with Chicago for, for Contreras, but uh, I think there, there's definitely been uh, more momentum toward that than I would have anticipated, say, a week ago. Yeah, I mean that sounds interesting, and I, like, I have no, I have no further insight. You, I agree with what you said because you're reporting it. Yeah, so I mean, we're just, it'll, it will be nice when we get to Tuesday at 6 p.m. and we have uh, a full concept of, of what the Mets, what the Mets have done, what the Mets were thinking all along. You, you kind of hear. No, you've got you got a sense of it, but you're never quite sure exactly how how different people are trying to game the game the the storyline going in. So we'll uh, it'll be nice to know for sure uh, sometime next week. 
And until then, if you have questions for the show, you can get at Tim at Tim Britton on Twitter. I'm at OG Ted Berg, or you can email asktedberg at gmail.com. Thank you for listening as always. Thank you for your questions and peace out. Adios.